Well, hey, I, uh, I found a new YouTube channel this week, and I'm uh, just really excited to share it with you. So maybe you've come across it. Maybe you didn't think, like, hey, when my pastor goes to write a sermon, he probably starts on YouTube. I, you probably figured that out. So uh, I found a new YouTube channel, and it is called the 11-Foot-8 Bridge. Anybody hear of this bad boy? Okay, Brian's heard of it. Okay, one person. We're still, we're still pretty good this morning. Okay. This is like a Christmas present for me. I get to share this joy with the whole world. All right, so you're going to pretty much get the gist of it, but this bridge is 11 foot 8 inches, and this entire YouTube channel is devoted to watching trucks think they can fit under an 8 foot or 11 foot 8 inch, 11 foot 8 inch bridge. Yes, that's how tall it is, and well, they don't necessarily make it ever if they're too tall. Um, so there's a new saying around this channel called Feed the Bridge. And so this morning, I would like to share with you the bridge being fed. But before we dive into that, I want you to know I took this clip from a top 11 bridge crashes video. This is the third clip. And the reason I chose this third clip is because the sound effects are incredible. Um, but also because it comes with an explanation. There are many hazard signs, there are many lights, there are many stages that lead up to any van, any truck that is too big hitting this bridge. So let's check this out. Ladies and gentlemen, boom. I mean, could you imagine? They're not getting to that house today. Wherever that destination is, they're just not going to make it. So now we get to break it down. Did the warning sign not work? Anytime there is a vehicle that is too big for this bridge, the red lights go on, signs start flashing. You can always turn off of this road, not hit the bridge. <laughs> Quite a bit of time to see this is taking place. Maybe they're on their cell phone. Maybe they're queuing up some Taylor Swift for this big move, I don't know, but green light, all right, that little Fiat or Mini Cooper, no problem. Uh, lots of no problems so far. Oh, here's a problem. <laughs> 11 foot 8 bridge, people, let's take it viral. <laughs> Just some YouTube gold right there. We watched that. We think, man, how could these people be so foolish? How could you be in a freight truck, in a moving truck, in an 18-wheeler, whatever it is, going under this bridge, seeing all these signs in front of you? Hey, this is not going to work. Flashing lights. You can turn here. You can go this direction. But you just think, no, I'm pretty sure I've got this. Most of the time, you probably just don't know how big the truck is. I don't know. Maybe some people are just super motivated. They're like, we'll see. Uh, I see that bridge, and I think I can go fast enough that I can just make it all the way through. There's a lot of moving vans out there that are now convertibles because of this thing. We see that, and we think, man, this person, what a silly willy. What a silly person to do this. But I think when we read Galatians this morning, as we start chapter 3, as we go verses 3, verse 1 through 14, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, we see that Paul is also talking to the Galatians. 
in this same tone, like, are you kidding me? Why would you continue to go under this bridge? Why would you continue on this way knowing that it is not going to work? But as we have seen over and over and over as we read the book of Galatians, is that Paul is talking to them. He's talking to the church in Galatia. But this directly applies to our lives. So Galatians 3 verses 1 through 6 is where we'll start this morning. And remember, Paul is reading this in a tone as if he is getting on to his children. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? By the flesh. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What the Galatians are doing is they are taking this 11-foot-8 bridge that has been prepared before them. And they have seen warning sign after warning sign after warning sign from Paul. But these Judaizers slip into the church and they say, No. No. If you keep driving under this bridge, that isn't good enough. See, what you need to do is you need to drive under this bridge in faith, the faith in which you put in Jesus, but since that's not enough, you need to put the burden of the law back on you. You not only need to be a semi-truck, but you need to be a semi-truck with a trailer. You need to be a moving truck, but a moving truck with a load that is now too big. And what Paul is saying is, you are approaching this bridge. And if you are just going to continue on in faith, the faith in Jesus and life in the Spirit, then you're going to make it through this bridge fine. But if you continue to put the law, the burden of the law, back on your shoulders, then you will never make it under this bridge. What is Paul saying? Verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, we see that he is asking the question, who is influencing you away from Jesus? He says that you've seen Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. What he is saying is that you have heard me preach Jesus and Jesus crucified in detail and to the point where it, is, it was as if you were there. And you didn't work to earn the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to you by your faith in Jesus. It wasn't by the law. It wasn't by you checking off these boxes of things that you have been doing right. No, it was by your faith in Jesus. And then verse 3, you started out being accepted by God through Jesus. And now you're trying to earn it. You're trying to earn what you never could earn. Has what you've been through in Jesus, for Jesus, been for nothing. In verse 5, we see that God doesn't move in our lives because we have earned it or deserved it, because if God was only going to move in our lives because we have earned it, because we have deserved it, He never would, because we would never earn it, because we would never deserve it. But God supplies the Spirit, and He works miracles in our lives because of our faith in what His Son has done for us. On our behalf. Then in verse 6, we see that Abraham 
than earn God's acceptance by keeping the law. He had faith in who God was, and God saw that faith as righteousness. I think so often, as people that have been believers for years or people that are just coming into knowing Jesus for the first time, we think we just have to earn it. We just have to keep pressing on. We just have to keep getting better. We just have to keep learning more about God. We just have to be reading our Bibles more. We just have to be worshiping more, 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 more. Do, do, do. This, this, this. Addition, addition, addition. When what we see is it's not ever been about what we can do, but what Jesus has done for us. And when we see that when we put our faith in Jesus, that we receive the Holy Spirit. First point this morning, by faith we are given the Holy Spirit. If by faith we are given the Holy Spirit, what Paul is saying to the church in Galatia is that it is in the Holy Spirit that you will finish the course. You will never make it under this bridge if you continue on in the law, but if you go and you strip it down what the gospel is, that Jesus loves you, that God loves you so much, he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sin. If you get back to the basics, the gospel in its purest form, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and he was buried, and he was resurrected three days later, so that you could be put in right relationship with God, so that you could be forgiven, so that you can be restored. Get back to the basics. Strip down the load and go continue on under that bridge. But realize that when Jesus did that, you were given the Holy Spirit. And if you are going to finish this course in the faith, then you will not do that without the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So now we have to ask the question, who's the Holy Spirit? All right, kiddos, it's not Casper the Friendly Ghost, but it is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and he is the third person of the Trinity. Depending on what denominational background you come from, Either it's the weird uncle that you really don't talk about much in the Trinity, or it's the one you talk about all the time. <clears throat> it's the one that sits over in the corner and he speaks in languages that nobody knows and nobody really understands, or it's been something that's been made so formulaic and cardboard that you really don't know how he could possibly be a part of your life. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, dwelled in singular people at singular times, for singular reasons. And the New Testament came down at Pentecost after Jesus had ascended. And he made himself known and indwelled the apostles and all the believers. In the Old Testament, he inspired the writing of the Bible. In the writing of the Gospels, he inspired those as well. And in the epistles, in the book of Revelations that we get in the New Testament, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer today, the same words that he inspired that are part of the Bible that are part of God's Word that we read, and that same Holy Spirit that inspired those words is inside of you. And so when you read God's Word, He is illuminating God's Word to you. The Holy Spirit, He calls us into right relationship with God. He indwells believers. More to come on that. The Holy Spirit enables us to be Jesus to other people. The Holy Spirit enables us to love Jesus more than we could ever even imagine. So now we have two more questions that we have to ask. How can I make way for the Holy Spirit to work in my life? What does it mean for God to supply the Spirit 
to us. I think when we start off in Galatians chapter 3, Paul starts off with a very clear statement, and that is a statement of the cross. Have you not heard Jesus preached? God provides the Spirit through the cross of Jesus. And so when Paul says this, they are reminded that their lives in the Spirit began at the cross. The Spirit is only given to those who have been forgiven of their sins through the work of Jesus on the cross. And so Paul is saying, let's get back to the basics. This is where the Spirit came into your life. You didn't do anything to earn the Spirit then. You're not going to continue to earn Him now. He is a part of your life. But we see that if we have the Spirit, we have to keep going back to the cross. If we want to see the Spirit at work in our lives. When Jesus is modeling the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 12, he says, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. You see, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we can't lose our union with the Holy Spirit, but when sin sneaks into our life, whether it's on purpose, whether it's on accident, our communion with the Spirit can be damaged. Now imagine you have your computer at work, at the house, you've got your tower, and your tower is what makes this whole thing run. The tower is like the Holy Spirit in your life. He is operating inside of your life. You are operating. You are operating outside of Him and what He is doing inside of you. And then you go over to the computer and you pull the power out of the wall. That's what happens in our lives when we sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us. That computer is still there, but now the power of the Holy Spirit has been unplugged. And so this is why repentance is so huge for us as believers. Let's take it back to the cross. Let's remember the cross. It's not about what we can do to be forgiven, but it's about what Jesus has already done so that we can be forgiven. And so when we go to the cross, when we ask for forgiveness, it's like you grab that cord and you plug it right back into the wall. We see verses 2 and 5 that God provides the Spirit in response to the hearing of faith. If the Holy Spirit opens a door into our lives and that door is the cross, then our response is to open the door on the other side, which is the door of faith. How do we open the door of faith? Well, Paul says that we have to hear. And when we hear, we hear in faith. There's two ways to hear. A lot of us have heard the gospel. We've heard this good news that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. But a lot of us have only heard the good news of Jesus with our ears. And when we hear the good news of Jesus with our ears only, then it's just a bit of knowledge that sits in our heads. When that knock is at the door, we don't answer. But when we hear and we hear with faith, and we respond with faith, then the Holy Spirit enters into the picture through the death of Jesus on the cross, and he opens that door. And when we hear the gospel, and we respond, not with just knowledge and knowing, but when we open up our hearts for Jesus to, to take over completely, then the door on our side is open, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. So now we ask the question, how do I live by the Spirit? You want to live by the Spirit? You stop living in your own strength. This is not about what you can do. If this was about what you can do, then Paul would have been saying, all right, Judaizers, come on in. Show us how we can put the law back into action. 
Show us what we can do to really earn this thing. Because we don't feel like the work of Jesus on the cross was sufficient. No, we need to do some good things. We need to do some good deeds. We need to make sure that we are following this law to a T so that we can earn our salvation. Because clearly what Jesus did was not enough. So stop living in your own strength. This is not about what you can do. This is about what God can do inside of you through the strength of the Holy Spirit. That means that we have to rely on God. We have to live to God. We need to stop living for ourselves. And when we stop living for ourselves, when we put our own selfish needs, our own selfish desires down, when we come to the end of ourselves, you know what you're going to find? If Jesus is in you, you're going to find Jesus is living in you. If we're going to live by the Spirit, it means that we have to get uncomfortable. That means when we serve in the church, that means that when we do things out in society, that we don't just operate out of our comfort zones. If I'm only ever doing what I am good at naturally, then how much room is there for the Holy Spirit to fill that void? Life is not about you and the glory and the praise that you can receive for doing X, Y, Z for the kingdom. No, life is about giving that glory to God. And so when we put ourselves in positions that we are uncomfortable with, whether that is speaking, whether that's going up to a person, talking to him, whether that's taking care of a homeless person, passing a couple bucks out of your window, whether it's just saying hi to somebody that's sitting by themselves at church, we have to realize that that is out of our power. We have to realize that we have to put our comfort levels aside because if we can only, if this is a spectrum and we can only go from here to here in our own strength and our own power, then the Holy Spirit has to make up the difference. When Paul says, I don't boast about anything, but I boast in my weaknesses because where I am weak, he is strong. And so if we are weak, if we're outside of our comfort zone, if we are not in our talented or gifted areas, whether that's serving or whether that's just telling somebody about Jesus, just know that because it's not about your strength, that the Spirit will make up the difference. The Spirit will fill the void, and God will do the work through you that he needs to do to advance the gospel and display the kingdom. And when he does that, you don't get the praise. He gets the praise. So let's get uncomfortable. Let's ensure that our connection is strong. Let's not sever our connection to the Holy Spirit by sinning over and over and over again. Think of the Holy Spirit as a fire deep within your heart. And when you sin, you cut out the oxygen to that fire. You know what happens when you cut out oxygen to fire? Fire doesn't persist. It goes out. So let's continue to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in our lives by keeping sin out of our lives. Instead, let's seek Jesus in every single detail of our lives. Then we have to ask, what does life in the Holy Spirit look like practically? Again, this is a full spectrum. And we come from a lot of different denominational backgrounds again. And so what I'm saying is it's not just one side of the spectrum, but it is actually the entire spectrum. Every person in the church with their gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit at different times, specific times, for specific situations working out of our weaknesses, getting uncomfortable so that God can use us to advance the gospel, to display the kingdom. That the Holy Spirit operating in your life looks like you fighting to save your marriage. And it goes all the way 
from fighting to save your marriage to seeing somebody healed physically. The Holy Spirit operating in your life looks like remaining faithful to your spouse, to demons being cast out of a person, from developing a life of prayer to the speaking of tongues, to learning to listen to God to discern and discerning God's will to interpreting tongues. It means putting down what you're doing, what you want to do that night, that day. And it means picking up your kids and spending time and loving them and making them more of a priority than what you want to do. It means laying down your life for what you believe in. I can stand here today and I can say these things to a church that I am proud of, to a church that I don't have to have a tone like Paul does with the Galatians. Because when I look out at you guys and I see what Jesus is doing in your lives and I see that you have heard the knock of the Holy Spirit at the door through the cross and that you have opened your end of that, of that deal, uh, opened your side of that door with faith and I see that the Holy Spirit is awake and he is a living inside of you and you are fanning that flame, I well up with joy because I see a church that went from people not reading the Bible to people that are absolutely on fire and in love with Jesus and reading the word every single day. I went from people that are, I look at people that are ready to write off their marriages completely to now seeking counsel and going to therapy and leaning into God and his strength to save it, knowing that they cannot do that in their own strength. I look at dads that are wondering, how in the world am I going to raise these kids? And they stop looking to their own self and their own ways, or maybe the ways of their fathers or their grandfathers, and they started looking at Jesus and saying, what is he doing? What is he calling me to do? I look at husbands that are loving their wives by submitting to them and taking care of their needs. Just as Jesus takes care of the church, I see the Holy Spirit alive in this church when you invite a friend because you're concerned about their eternal well-being. I see the Holy Spirit alive and moving in this church in little tiny practical ways and in absolutely supernatural ways that you would never believe. For all my kiddos in the house, maybe this will help it click. When we try to live by faith, without the Holy Spirit, really what we are doing is trying to be Peter Parker, trying to be Spider-Man, but never actually getting bit by the radioactive spider, all right? Now, you can pick any one of your Spider-Men. You could go Tobey Maguire, OG Spider-Man in the middle here. We can go Andrew Garfield, definitely the cool, sleek, suave Spider-Man, or you can go Tom Holland Spider-Man. As a church, we're all going to look completely different. But if we're going around trying to do superhero heroic things, trying to do Spider-Man type things, without actually getting bit by the radioactive spider, I just want to tell you it's not going to work. We're going to continue to spin our wheels. We're going to dig a rut where we're at in our lives with Jesus, and we're going to want to see him moving in our lives, but we're never going to see it happen. Why? Because Spider-Man, without a bug bite, is just a real motivated weird kid, okay? (laughs) And if we try to operate as believers and see God move in other people's lives without the Holy Spirit at work inside of us, it's pointless. You're spinning your tires. You want to love your, life, your wife better? 
You want to love your husband better? Rely on the Holy Spirit. You want to be the dad, the mom that God's called you to be? Rely on the Holy Spirit. You want to be the coworker, the employee, the boss that God's called you to be? Rely on the Holy Spirit. Stop doing it in your own power. Because you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to keep getting stuck under that bridge over and over and over again. You're going to have all the motivation. You're going to have none of the power. We better speed this up because we've got a little bit more ground to cover. My girls, they just started watching this new show that is actually an old show. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called DuckTales. All right. That was a lot of passion for DuckTales. Awesome. So what we have is, uh, I don't know who's who here. I do do know that this is uh, Uncle Scrooge here. I'm just going to guess this is Huey, maybe Louie, and uh, Dewey. I do know they're all Ooeys. What happens is Donald Duck goes into the Navy, and so he's just like, okay, what am I going to do with my three kids? And he goes and he drops them off at his brother, their uncle, Scrooge's house. And being dropped off at Uncle Scrooge's house, they are invited. They are brought into the enormous wealth that Uncle Scrooge has. Through that, they go on all kinds of adventures, whether that's to grow Uncle Scrooge's wealth, or it's to protect it, or it's just because you got it. And so you got it, you should spend it. But what we see in DuckTales is something much like Paul is communicating in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. And maybe you never thought you'd hear that in church. You probably never thought you'd see a moving truck hit a bridge either. But we'll continue. The same thing that happens with Huey, Dewey, and Louie is the same thing that happens when Paul is talking about Abraham. And he's talking to these believers in the church of Galatia. But something so much better than all the riches, all the gadgets, all the material possessions that Scrooge McDuck has for his nephew, or his nephews, takes place. We see that Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what is this big inheritance? What is this blessing of Abraham? We see for them, and in turn for us, that this blessing is twofold. This blessing is salvation, and this blessing is a family. So, verse 7, why does Paul take things back to Abraham? Well, we see that Abraham was counted righteous by faith, not by the law. We see that these Jewish Christians and those influenced by the Judaizers would have immediately thought back to the Abrahamic covenant, covenant, where God says to Abraham, I will make you a nation. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. We also see in verse 7 that when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a part of a much bigger picture. That means that your family is no longer just your blood relatives. That means that you are brought into the family of God, and now your family is your brothers and sisters in Jesus who have the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's no longer blood, but it is a spiritual bond. 
I don't know where you're coming from this morning. I don't know your family background. I don't know where you're at with your parents. I don't know where you're at with your aunts and uncles or your cousins, if you have the best relationship ever or the worst. I don't know if family's brought a lot of trauma into your life, but what I do want you to know is that this morning, if you are in Jesus, and this morning, if you give your life to Jesus, that you are not alone. Now you go from being alone to being loved because in Jesus you are a part of the family of God. You are a part of this Abrahamic covenant. You are a part of this blessing. And as part of that family, you are not isolated, but you are surrounded. And not in a weird way that make you uncomfortable and nervous, but you are surrounded by people that care for you. You are surrounded by people that love you. You are surrounded by people that want God's best in your life. And my dream, my hope for Asante Church is that as we welcome the community into this place, we are saying welcome to the family. We are here. We want to take care of you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but if you know Jesus, I want to help you seek Jesus in this. If you don't know Jesus, I want to come alongside you and show you how Jesus wants to have a relationship with you how all of this can only be made right in Jesus. And maybe it's too late for things to be made right. But the only way that you're going to heal from the hurt of what you're going through right now is in Jesus. My prayer is that we'd be like Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. I want you to know in Jesus, you're not an orphan. You're a beloved son. You're a beloved daughter. You have a father. An Abba Father, you have a daddy that loves you. No matter what, no matter what you've done, no matter what you'll do, will not change his love for you. Verse 8, we see that the rescue was revealed to Abraham by God from the very beginning. We see that Abraham's blessing is the reversal of the curse on the world says that through Scripture, Abraham was tipped off from the very beginning that Jesus would come through him, that he would be a blessing, and whoever blessed him would be blessed, and that if you were part of this blessing, that you would bless others, and, and if you were cursed, then they would be cursed. And part of that was that all nations shall be blessed. This isn't just Jews. This is Gentiles as well. This isn't just one race, just one gender, one socioeconomic status, how much you have in your bank account, how smart you are, how strong you are, how pretty you are, how not pretty you are. <laughs> ugly is an ugly word. I don't want to use it. What you see is that you become a part of that blessing. Everybody. From orphan to adopted. Now, part of the family. Verse 9. We see that if you have faith in Jesus, that you are counted righteous right alongside Abraham. The man of faith, the father of faith. And how are we counted just as righteous as Abraham in his belief? Because it was Abraham's faithfulness that made a way for Jesus. And in Abraham's faithfulness, in hearing God, and believe in God, just as you have heard the gospel and believed in the gospel. You have heard who God says he is. You've heard that he sent his son to save you, and you've put your faith, your hope, your trust, your life in that. 
Abraham heard God. He trusted him. And it was through his trust and it was through his obedience that prompted the rescue mission that led to our adoption. Second point this morning, it is by faith we are adopted into a family. By faith we are adopted into a family. Practically, because we are adopted into a family, this means that by the Spirit we will start to look like our family. This means that if we are of the faith and we look to our father Abraham, had many sons, many sons had father Abraham, well, when you spend enough time when you're in a family with somebody, you look to them, and you start to mimic them. And so if we are going to be believers that are part of this family of faith that are adopted into the family of Abraham, that means that we're going to start to look like the father of faith. That means that we, when we are called to go, just like Abraham was called by God to go to this land that God had promised him, this means that we go. And this doesn't mean that we go no matter what. Now, we have to realize that we don't just go because it's in our interest. Now, we go because it's of kingdom interest, because it has eternal value. I think a lot of times we get so wrapped up in our own smaller stories that we forget that when we become a part of the family of God, we are invited in to a bigger story. And in our smaller stories, we think, well, if this is the right move for my bank account, then this must be a blessing from God that I'm going to go after this. This must be God saying, hey, this is what I have for you. Sometimes, maybe, not all the time. Let's instead say, this is good for me. Let's weigh that with what's good for the kingdom. What is God doing in my life now? Is this going to be more kingdom impact, more eternal benefit for my life, for the life of my family and the life of others if I go and do this thing? Maybe, but maybe not. I think when we think of a job promotion, or moving across the country for something that God may or may not be calling us to do, very rarely do we think about the church that we're going to be a part of. We just think about, hey, this is good for me. This is good for my family. But no, being a part of the family of God, being a part of the family of Abraham, and looking like him and going in faith means we go when it's more kingdom impact, more eternal benefit for others than it is just for us. It's in Jesus that we were brought into a family. It's in Jesus that we were adopted. And I don't know where you're at this morning when it comes to Jesus. I don't know if you feel like you were an orphan, lost, alone, and out on the streets. But I want you to know that there's a God that loves you. I want you to know he loves you so much he sent his son to die for you so that you could be brought into this promise that he made to Abraham hundreds and thousands of years ago that you could be adopted into a family, that you could be made right in relationship with God by Jesus and his work on the cross, having victory over sin, victory over death, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be repurposed, so that you could be made new, but also so that you could be brought in to a family. We got about one third of a sermon left to go, and we're going to pause right here. And we're going to send this out in an email this week, all right? <laughs> Church family, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I get so excited about what you're doing in the life of this church. Jesus, I get so excited about your word. And I thank you that I get to teach it.
Jesus, this morning I pray that we would be a church that relies on the Spirit to see your will be done in our lives, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our singleness. Jesus, we can't do this by ourselves. But we were never supposed to do this by ourselves. When you left, you said, I'm sending someone who's even greater. You'll do even greater things than these. So Jesus, this morning, for the believers that are in this room, we accept the Holy Spirit in our lives. And would you allow us to fan the flames, to stoke the flames of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Would you help us as we turn our backs on sin? Would you help us not to quench the Holy Spirit's movement in our lives? Would you help us to realize that we didn't receive your love, we didn't receive your grace by anything that we did, but something that you did for us, and that was die on the cross. Would you help us not to move forward thinking that we can earn your love, that we can earn God's acceptance, that we can earn the Holy Spirit. We can earn you moving in our lives. And instead of relying on our own strengths, would you allow us to be spirit-driven? That a Sante church would be a spirit-driven church that we would see things that we can never even fathom happen in our midst, not because of what we did, but because of what you did in our lives. Holy Spirit, we lean into you. Less of us, more of you. In Jesus' name. Amen.